0: This morning, I want to begin with a story that I can honestly relay to you without bitterness in my heart. Okay? I say that for a reason because, used to, I could not have relayed this story to you without bitterness in my heart. Okay? So, any bitterness or angst or frustration that I once had, I no longer have. Okay? So, I I can say it with a good spirit and a good attitude and some of you have heard this story before probably whenever my spirit my attitude was not what it should be but uh, uh, things have been made right things have been reconciled and so I'm good with it today and uh, me and the offending party have had some good laughs about it since then and life is fine. Some of you will remember A little over three years ago, we had just been to youth camp and because we were without a youth pastor, I and Susie, uh, we were the ones who took the kids to youth camp. And we went and everything was fine. Everything was good. Everything was okay. Came back on a Friday. I preached on that Sunday. And so that made kind of for a busy week, but I preached on Sunday and Sunday night after church Me and Nathan and Mason and another young man, we were going to be leaving right after church Sunday night driving to Oklahoma City so that we could get on a plane there that next morning and fly out to Washington, D.C. for a conference. Okay, so kind of a long week prior to the trip that I was about to go on, this conference with these three young men. And so Sunday night, I was pretty tired. Got to Oklahoma City around 1130, spent the night with my parents, and was going to have to get up early, I think around 4 or 430 that next morning, to be able to go to this conference out in Washington, D.C. Now, the purpose for that conference, or the purpose for that trip to the conference, was to take the third young man that I have not mentioned by name to take him out there and to expose him to some things and to let him see a church out there that that i wanted him to see and i I wanted him to to just again to experience that and so here he was he was getting to fly out to washington dc a trip that he wanted to take a trip that he was excited about his very first time to fly his very first time to really go on a long trip and even some men in the church had given him some spending money just so that he could have fun while he was out there okay so here he is this young man getting to go on this trip never done anything like this before and and you would think just absolute excitement about the trip would you not that's what you would think that's what you would envision in your mind well that next morning again around 4 or four thirty. I don't remember what time we woke up but we got up and my parents were awake because they are early risers and so they were there with us and We were getting ready to leave and they were going to take us to the airport, I believe, and and I said, Hey, Dad, real quick, take a picture of us because I want to kind of make memories with this trip because, again, it was going to be special for all of us, but hopefully for this one young man in particular, And so as I said, Dad, would you take a picture of us? He said, Sure, you know, that's fine. And and so we stood in front of my parents' fireplace there in their house. And and as we stood there, just before my dad took the picture, my mom, in a very cheery tone, said, Smile! Because that's what you say, right, when somebody's about to take your picture. Somebody says to you, Smile so that you look pleasant in the picture. If you go back and you look at that picture that was taken, guess what you see? You see three individuals who were smiling. Myself, Nathan, and Mason, we were all smiling, just as my mom had instructed us to do at that unreasonable hour in the morning. The fourth person who was in that picture, he did not smile. And not only did he not smile before my dad captured that moment, you know what that... Fourth individual said, he said, I've got nothing to smile about. I've got nothing to smile about. Now hold on. You've just been transported from Pampa to Oklahoma City free of charge. You are about to get on an airplane with a ticket that costs you nothing. To go to a conference that your preacher does not have to go to to be happy because he just spent a week with you at youth camp. (laughs) I've had about all the youth I could handle at that point, my son and Mason included. All right, so I, I was not needing to take another trip with young men to be happy, but you're about to get on a plane with a ticket that you did not pay for, that you did not purchase. You're about to go see a part of the country that you have never seen before and may not ever get to go back to. And, and you've got money in your pocket. You've got money in your wallet that you did not work for, that men in this church gave you, and you want to stand here and say You've got nothing to smile about? What an attitude. What a stinky, rotten, pathetic, immature, awful, however long you want to go describing this. What a pitiful attitude, young man. And when those words came out of his mouth, I've got nothing to smile about. Let me tell you something. The love of Jesus did not flow through my mind. <laughs> I had thoughts raced through my mind, but none of them were things like this. Embrace the young man. Show the love of God to this young man. Let this young man know that you understand. No, whenever I heard him say, I've got nothing to smile about, I thought, my goodness. My goodness. We're in for a long week. Now, I say that to say this. I want us to think about Satan for just a moment. Because Satan is a real individual, is he not? We do not see him with our eyes, we cannot touch him with our hands. But we know his presence is real, and we know that the presence of his demons are real. For those of us who believe the Scripture, we do not think that Satan is just some myth or just some fairy tale, but we believe that this is an actual being that was once in heaven, who was kicked out of heaven as a result of his rebellion to God's authority in his, in his presence and, and, and in his being. And, and so Satan and, and the fallen angels that we now refer to as demons, we believe that that such creatures and, and such Individuals, for lack of better words, truly exist in this world. And as that is so, here's what we know. Satan loves to play games with the minds of individuals. And Satan has been doing this for thousands of years, and Satan is quite skilled in getting into a person's mind and getting into a person's head and, and making them think things that they have no business thinking about. Would we agree? It's happened to me, and if you're honest, you'd have to admit this morning that it's happened to you, that there have been moments where we have been entertaining thoughts, that we have been entertaining ideas, and if we would just step back for a moment and examine what in the world we are thinking about, we would say to ourselves, where in the world did that come from? And it came from the influence of Satan or his demons in our thought process because no normal rational person would think such a thing would entertain such ways of thoughts. Now, I say that for this reason. Today is November 8th, which means we are 18 days away from one, one of the, what I believe to be the most important holidays that we as a nation celebrate. We're 18 days away from Thanksgiving. We are 18 days away from that day where we set aside everything else that is going on in our life for the purpose of, at least in theory, for the purpose of giving thanks. For a Christian, we would say we take a day to reflect and to to think about things that we are thankful for and we are giving thanks to God for what we are thankful for. But here's what happens so many times in a person's life. Things aren't going perfect around the holidays. Things are not everything that they would like the holidays to be. Something has happened or something is about to take place or, or maybe we think something is about to happen or we think something is about to take place. And, and, and here's what it looks like sometimes. Well, we don't have any money this year, okay? That's a bummer. Or my health isn't what it was last year. Hey, hey, listen, I'm not going to lie to you. That stinks. Somebody may say something like this. Our family is so dysfunctional, it's ridiculous. I, I hear you. And here's what happens when things aren't going right in the hearts and minds of people around the holidays, especially the holiday of Thanksgiving. You know what many people will say in their heart if they don't ever express it out loud? They'll say something like this, I've got nothing to be thankful for. Now let's not sit here and shake our heads. Let's not sit here and be disgusted at other people saying, well, I've got nothing to be thankful for, because I promise you I've heard those same sentiments come from the hearts and minds and lips of people in this church. Well, what have we got to be thankful for? Uh, you got a lot to be thankful for. And I've got a lot to be thankful for. And yet many times, if we're not careful, you know what we reveal about ourselves? We reveal this same immature, childish, selfish attitude that the young man revealed three years ago when asked to smile on an early Monday morning. There are many people who will wake up in 18 days, and their attitude and their spirit will be something like this. What do I have to be thankful for? We're going to spend the next several... Sermons looking at some things we have to be thankful for. I'm going to try to help our attitudes this year. Not just one sermon. We're going to get seven sermons. And you're like, oh, great. Yeah, hey, it's better than you think, okay? Seven things that we will have to be thankful for by the time Thanksgiving gets to us. So here's number one. What is it? Well, I'll tell you in a minute. Notice in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Here's the Apostle Paul writing to a group of believers in Rome, and he says this, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know what Paul just said to the believers there? in the church, in Rome. He said, every one of us are sinners. Okay, I'm missing the whole Thanksgiving theme with this one. Well, just hold on, okay? Every person in this world is a sinner. Everyone is a sinner. We were born into this world sinners. Now, I know that you know this, but I know that most of us aren't going to argue this, but I want us to think about it. There are some people in life who want to say something like this, oh, I don't like the way that sounds, that just sounds so negative, negative. And, and, and I think in general I'm a pretty good person. Well, you and I in general, according to our own standards, we may seem like pretty good people, but you know what the Bible calls us? The Bible calls us sinners. I am a sinner, you are a sinner, your parents are sinners, your children are sinners, your grandchildren are sinners, your great-grandchildren, they are sinners. Every one of us has sinned because all of us are sinners and because of our sin we have fallen short of the glory of God. Someone may say something like this. Well, you may think that you're a sinner, and you may be okay with calling yourself a sinner, but I choose not to call myself a sinner. Again, I want a better self-esteem. I want to think more highly of myself than that. Well, you're allowed to do that, but you'll be wrong. Because, see, here's the problem. Whenever we begin to look at ourselves, maybe the things that that very few people see, maybe the things that we don't let anyone see, here's what we have to admit. So many times, though we are good people, we can be quite ugly in our actions, can we not? I'm such a good person. I am such a kind person. I am such a benevolent person. Okay, then why didn't you talk to your wife that way yesterday? Mr. Good Guy. Oh, If you're such a good woman, if, if you're such a fantastic lady, then, then why is it you said what you did to your husband yesterday? it's because I was angry. Okay, but your anger revealed your sinfulness because when you were angry, you didn't control your emotions the way that a good person would. And so we can sit here and say, well, I'm a good person. Okay, well, if I'm a good person, then that means I have to be good all the time, even in my dealings with my wife or you ladies with your husband. You have to be good all the time. And here's what we know. We're not good all the time. So we are not good people. Somebody says, well, okay, so I'm not the greatest of, of husbands or, or, or wife, but, but I'm a fantastic parent. Oh, really? So you think that's the way a parent ought to speak to their children when they're upset? Well, you keep bringing up when I'm upset. Yeah, because that's what begins to reveal who we are. See, a good parent wouldn't talk to their child that way. A good parent wouldn't respond in that fashion. A good parent would not do something like that in relation to their children. Well, we've got to be willing to admit I am a sinner and I see my own sinfulness in my own family, in my relationship with my wife or my husband, with my kids. And, and if that's not enough to convince us, just ask yourself this. How many times do you treat your coworkers in ways you know you ought not treat them? Yeah, that's work. Uh, no, no, no. You said you were a good person. How many times do words come out of your mouth that ought not be said? That's because we're sinners. How many times do we covet? How many times do we lust? How many times do we steal? How many times do we, do we lie? How many times do we fail? How many times do we miss the mark? How many times do we fall short of the glory of God? Friends, if we would stop and think about it and be honest, We sin on a daily basis. There is not one of us who is righteous. No, not one. And you know this as well as I do if you've been in church very long at all. Even when we are in our best condition, even when we clean ourselves up the best, even when we have done really good for a while, you know what we are in the presence of God? We are nothing more than filthy rags. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, Paul said, we're all sinners. And we've all come short of the glory of God. There's not one of us who is a good person. Every one of us are sinners. So if you look over in Romans chapter 6, if you turn the page, Romans chapter 6, you see the first part of verse number 23. Paul, in writing to these believers, says, and you know what, the wages of sin is death. You know what we all deserve because of our sinful lifestyle? The fact that we're ugly to our spouse, the fact that we're rude to our children, the fact that we're, you know, disrespectful to our co-workers, the fact that we say things we shouldn't say, and we steal, and we lie, and we cheat, and we do all these different things. You know what we deserve because of that? The Bible says we deserve death. I deserve death and you deserve death. And not just a physical death, but Paul is talking here about a spiritual death. You know what the Scripture tells us if you read through the whole council of Scripture? You know what it reveals to us? It reveals to us that because of our sinful condition, we deserve to be forever separated from God when we die and spend an eternity in a place called hell. That's what we deserve. Well, I sure don't like that. Well, I'm sorry, but that's what the Bible teaches, that the wages of sin is death. What do I deserve because of my sin? What do you deserve because of your sin? Because I have fallen short of the glory of God, because you have fallen short of the glory of God, every one of us deserve to be forever separated from the presence of God in a place called hell that the Bible refers to as a place of of fire and brimstone. It's a lake of fire. It is a horrible, horrible awful place. And nobody in their right mind says, well, I want to go to hell when I die. People want to go to heaven. People want to spend forever in a In a happy place, in a good place, not a place of torment, not a place of misery, not a place of anguish. So, so they want to go to heaven when they die. So, so what do people do in an effort to try to be able to go to heaven when they die? Well, here's what most people do. They decide to try to work harder. I'm going to try to work harder at being a better person. I'm going to try to work harder to be that better husband. I'm going to try to work harder to be that better wife. I'm going to work harder to be that better parent. I'm going to work harder to be nicer to my coworkers tomorrow. And I'm going to work harder to not say those words anymore. And I'm going to work harder to not do that anymore. And I'm going to work harder not to watch that anymore. And I'm just going to work harder. And I'm going to work harder. And I'm going to work harder. And I'm going to work harder. But you know what the problem is? The Scripture says this. That we can never be good enough to earn Our salvation, or to earn a deliverance from hell. Does this make sense? I cannot be good enough because even when I am trying to be good enough, you know what I will still do? I will still fall flat on my face. I will still be a sinner at the end of the day. So here I am. I am born a sinner. And because of my sin, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That is exactly what I deserve. I deserve not just a physical death, but I deserve a spiritual death. And so what do I want to do to try to fix this? Well, I want to try to do what I can. And the Scripture says you're not going to be able to do it no matter what. Why? Because you are an ungodly being, and I am an ungodly being. So how does a person escape hell? How does somebody escape the torments of hell? How how, how does how, how does somebody not have to go there when they die? Well, here's what the Scripture teaches, that some kind of an offering had to be offered and some kind of a sacrifice had to be sacrificed in our place. See, I can't be good enough, and I'll never be righteous enough, and I'll never be holy enough to, to gain this favor with God. No, that'll never be anything that I am able to accomplish on my own. And so what had to happen? Well, a perfect, sinless sacrifice had to die in my place. So if you look in Romans chapter 5, you should be pretty close to it, all right? If you look in Romans chapter 5, notice what it says in verse number 6. For when we were without strength, when we were incapable of doing the the job on our own, in due time, what did Christ do? It says there in verse number 6 that Christ died for the ungodly. You know what happened a little over 2,000 years ago? A little over 2,000 years ago, God allowed His Son to be born into this world through Mary, that virgin birth. And as He came into this world, Christ lived a sinless, perfect, holy, righteous life. And for about 30 years, He lived a sinful, holy, righteous life. And at that 30-year mark in His life, He entered into this public ministry that would last for about three and a half years. And every bit of His existence and every bit of His being Born and and, and a part of this earth And walking amongst men Every part of this was, was leading to the day That he would one day be sacrificed On Golgotha's hill On a place called that we refer to As Calvary and you know what Christ Did that day on Calvary He died To pay the price For the sins Of men And women Though we are ungodly, though we are sinners, though we miss the mark daily, Christ died for the ungodly. It says in verse number 7, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But notice in verse number 8, But God commendeth his love, or God showed or manifested his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When Christ died on the cross almost 2,000 years ago, you know who he died on the cross for? He died on the cross for me, and he died on the cross for you. Christ knew that there was going to be this young boy born in Oklahoma City in the year 1974, and Christ knew that he was going to be born a sinner, that he was going to be disobedient to parents, that he'd be rebellious, that he'd talk back, that he'd have his own personal issues, he'd have his own personal struggles, and you know what Christ knew? Christ knew that Kyle would never be good enough to save himself. Kyle could never decide okay i'm going to turn a new leaf and i'm going to change my direction and i'm going to do it myself no christ knew that i would never be good enough and so christ died on the cross for my sins though i was ungodly he said i'm going to manifest my love i'm going to show my love and while we were sinners christ died for us You may not realize this, you may not know it, you may not have been aware of it until today, but almost 2,000 years ago, Christ was willing to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. What did that provide? It provided salvation. It provided this thing called salvation. We can be saved or we can be rescued or we can be delivered from the death, the wages of sin that we deserve. I don't have to go to hell when I die and you don't have to go to hell when you die and no person has to go to hell when they die. And here's the beautiful thing. It does not matter what the sins may be in our past. No one has to go to hell unless they choose to go to hell. Well, how do we know? Well, look over in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. If you notice there in verse number 13, Paul said this, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now think about this. Anyone who is willing to call upon Christ can be saved. Well, you don't know what I've done in my past. It doesn't matter. You're a part of the whosoever. Well, you don't know about my moral failures. You don't know about my lust. You don't know about my covetousness. You don't know about my anger. You don't know about my violence. You don't know about my temper. Listen, the one who was writing this was a former murderer. He knew something about a sinful lifestyle. And he said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He knew it because he was a first-hand recipient of the salvation of God in his life as a murderer. I can promise you if you knew something about the life of the Apostle Paul, you would not want to compare notes very long because he'd say, Oh, you committed that? I'm guilty. Oh, you committed that? Yeah, I'm guilty. You committed that? I've done that one too. I'm not proud of it, but I could honestly say, Yes, I've committed that one as well. And so here is the Apostle Paul, and he reminds the believers of, of Rome. He said, Listen, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Notice one more thing, and then we're going to make a couple of points, and we'll be done. Go back to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse number 9. Notice what Paul said. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through or by him. What does it mean to be justified? I mean, that's a word that we don't use very often in today's conversation. What does it mean to be justified? It means this to be declared righteous. He says to be justified by or through His blood. Whose blood? Christ. Because He commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When Christ died on the cross, He shed His blood, and for the person who will call upon Him to save Him, follow this, for the person who will call upon Christ to save Him, through the blood of Jesus, or, or, or through Him, the work of Jesus Christ, Paul said you have now been justified. You have now been declared right with God. This may not be real fascinating right now, but think about this entire process. Before this world began, God knew that you and I would one day help populate this earth. And this, I mean, if you'll think about this, From a biblical standpoint, this should be a little bit interesting to us. God knew that you and I would one day populate or help populate the earth. And before this world began, knowing that mankind would populate the earth, God also knew that man would be sinful. Because Christ was the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth. Okay, So God, who knew everything in His, in his perfect knowledge, and His perfect understanding, He knew that I, He was going to create a, a world and, and it would be made up of men and women who would one day sin and who would one day reject the authority of God in their life, and that sin would separate them from God. And when God created the earth, however many thousands of years ago it was, He knew that you and I would be a part of the sin problem. We would be contributors to the sin problem on this earth. And knowing all that, knowing that we could never be good enough, knowing that we would never be righteous enough, knowing that we could never be holy enough in our own effort, God sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever would believe in Him would not have to perish, but would have everlasting life. All a person had to do from the beginning of mankind, all a person had to be willing to do was to humble themselves before God, call out to God, and say, God, I accept you as my Savior and God. I accept the gift that you gave me. Because in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, he said, But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Salvation is a gift that you and I cannot work for. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The only thing you and I had to do. To escape the wrath and the judgment of God The only thing you and I had to do To escape hell Was to say God I acknowledge I am a sinner And God I need you And I'm asking you to save me Because God I know I can't do this on my own And God I know that I can't be good enough I prove that on a daily basis And when we humbled ourselves before God, you know what God did? He did just what he said he would. He saved us. And we have been justified and we have been saved from wrath through, by, because of God and Jesus Christ. Now think about that truth for just a moment. Our salvation has nothing to do with our net worth. Christ did not first look at our portfolio and see if we were worth saving. Are we listening to this? That should encourage us because most of us weren't worth saving. We don't exactly bring a lot to the table. When we come into the presence of God, well, Lord, I mean, if you'll check out my bank account, I got like dollars and dollars right now. Our salvation had nothing to do with our portfolio and how much money we had. The poorest of poor people can be saved just like the richest of rich people can be saved. Think about what Christ was willing to do for us. You can be poor and you can be saved and you can die poor and you are no less saved than if you had a million dollars in the bank. You can come from a crazy, nutty, wacky, dysfunctional family. And guess what? If you've called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to save you, that's exactly what he did, and he does not hold your family against you. That's real good news for many people. I'm so thankful that in spite of the stock I come from, God still loved me enough to send his son to die on the cross and to save me from my sins. That is wonderful, wonderful news. It doesn't matter if I'm rich. It doesn't matter if I'm poor. It doesn't matter if I come from good stock, if I come from bad stock. It doesn't matter if I've got a great job or I've got a pitiful job. It doesn't matter if my clothes are new, if my clothes are worn out. It doesn't matter who I am. God saved me because God loves me. And he loved me before I even entered this earth. He loved me so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for my sins. Now, if you think about that for just a moment, if you think about that for just a moment, here in 18 days, guess what you may be doing? You may be eating a bologna sandwich all by yourself. And you may be doing well compared to what other people are doing. And if you are saved, you've got something to be thankful for. This is so cliché-ish, Brother Kyle. How many times do we forget this? Listen, you, you may be in 18 days looking around going, life stinks. And it may stink in a lot of ways. But you know what? If you are saved, if you have been spared from God's wrath, if you can sit there and know without a doubt in your mind that heaven is your home when you die and you will not spend one second in a devil's hell, listen, if you are able to sit there and say with confidence, I know that I've been justified, that I've been declared righteous through his blood by the work of Jesus Christ, if you sit there and have to say life stinks and from a human perspective it does, but you know you're saved, you can still say, thank you, God that I am saved and I am on my way to heaven. You may look outside and see an old car that doesn't run. You may sit outside and, and look at a house that looks like a piece of junk compared to what the world says you ought to be living in. It doesn't matter if you are a child of God. You've got something to be thankful for. I've got something to be thankful for. I don't have my health. You've still got something to be thankful for. God loved you enough to send his son to this earth to die on the cross for our sins so that we might be able to receive the gift of God, be justified, and be delivered from the wrath of God. We've got something to smile about. We've got something to be thankful for. In the next 18 days, somebody says, hey, Thanksgiving's coming around the corner. We don't have to scowl. I know, I know, I know. If we can just get my crazy family together and us not gonna get in a fight, we'll be okay. No, no, no. Wrong attitude. I'm telling you right now, wrong attitude. We may not even have enough money to have Thanksgiving. Timeout. pitiful attitude. That's not what it's about you are saved, you are a child of God, you are on your way to heaven, and if you breathe your last breath right now and you enter into eternity in heaven, you've got something to be forever thankful and grateful for. Listen, don't, don't be like the young man who, who said, I've got nothing. No, we, we've got a lot. We've got our salvation, and that's just one out of seven. And the series could probably go longer than that of things we have to be thankful for. We're just going to focus on seven of them. But let me just add this and then we're done. Thanksgiving is 18 days away. And the saved have much to be thankful for. You know who doesn't have much to be thankful for? And those are the ones who have not yet ever humbled themselves before God and said, God, I need you. God, I cannot save myself. God, I cannot be good enough. God, listen, for the ones who are still trying to do it themselves, they are still on their way to hell. Not because God doesn't love them, but because they have yet to humble themselves before God. And see, here's the sad thing. It can happen even to people in churches because here's what they want to do. They want to say, well, I'm religious, and I go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I read my Bible, and I spend time in prayer. Isn't that good enough? No, that's not good enough. If you've not yet humbled yourself before God and said, God, today I acknowledge I'm a sinner, and there is nothing I can do to save myself, unless you've done that and you've called upon him to save you, Unless you've done that, you're still as lost as you've ever been, though you've added religion to your lifestyle. And there's not much to celebrate if your eternity still looks like wrath and judgment to come. And so this morning, I just want to close with this thought. I just want to close with this idea. If you are saved... You have something to celebrate, and you have something to give thanks to God for this year. If you are not saved, no matter how much you have, no matter how much you acquire, it will all be empty, and it will all be vain, because in the end, that doesn't matter. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? You said, man, I don't have that, I don't even really fully understand what that means talk to me after church talk to me after church and i'll visit with you some more or my wife can visit with you someone in the church can visit with you but i'm telling you if we are saved we've got so much to be thankful for and if we're not saved we really don't have much to get excited about but that could all change today if we were willing to humble ourselves before god let's all stand this morning and bow our heads for prayer Fathers, I come to you this morning. I pray that you would help us today as children of God to just stop for a moment and reflect on your great love for us.